Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your boy, B-Magic. I got my brother, Noise, with me. We got yes. a special quarantine episode with one of the homies who definitely put us onto the podcast game with a very famous episode that we did down in Austin, Texas. We oh, got man. the homie, Nav, with us. What Noise, do all the accolades, because you're better at doing all that stuff. <laughs> What, uh, what, can, what can I say about Nav, man? Nav is someone that's very instrumental in our careers as musicians. He is someone that is, you know, well-versed in a variety of different types of media, whether that's radio, whether that's TV, uh, whether that's podcasting. He is the host of New Theory Radio, which exists as a radio show and as a podcast. Uh, he's a live event host, and he was a few years ago named as one of the top 40 under 40 in Brampton. Okay. <laughs> I was number. They, they had thirty nine. They needed a fortieth, so they called me out. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, sitting down to talk with us, Nav. Yeah, um, man. No, thank you guys. This is uh, honestly. I, I think I told you guys before when we started. It's it's weird to be on the other side of the table, but hey, man. I always love talking to you guys. I I'll always go back to that time that we spent in Austin and just how fun it was. And I'm so, I was so happy that we were able to record like just that entire experience. And I, I, you know, I might, I like a part of me's like been again, if you guys want the audio, but a part of me feels like we need to like re-release it next year for like the five year anniversary, <laughs> just to cure the growth. Yeah. Just remaster it because man, <laughs> that was, that was a legendary trip and that was a legendary podcast too. Yeah, man, just kind of, kind of getting into it. Like, how is how has life been for you now that everything's on lockdown? You know what? It's 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 weird, man. Like just like everybody else, the one thing I'll say is my situation is definitely somewhat different than a lot of other people in my life. Just because you know, again, I did just become a dad about six months ago now, which is uh, congratulations, crazy. man. Thanks, man. Thanks, and and it's. That in itself is already just a big life moment in general. But being able to be locked down and obviously work from home, but still spend more time with my daughters has been a bit of a blessing. So that's been keeping me sane. Um, I think I'm just like everybody else where I think I'm over it now. I think I really want to get out there again, hang out with the homies. A lot of my life is really centered around doing events, doing different shows, emceeing, or even just networking, or even just going out, kind of being someone who likes to be immersed with live music. And I definitely miss that. But hey, man, we just got to continue to roll with the punches and just trying to do my best over here. For sure. Yeah, I was gonna, because, you know, you mentioned uh, the birth of your daughter, I guess. How has parenting changed pre-COVID versus post-COVID? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I would say definitely having more time with her is has been the biggest change but um being able to really get into a rhythm as to what being a parent is all about was a big uh has been a big learning curve for me because again the way with the way it worked you know my daughter came two weeks early um my wife had already planned her mat leave and her mat leave just had to start abruptly based on the fact that my daughter came early and then I had two weeks off and then I went right back into work uh, in my full-time job, which is in brand marketing. And my wife was at home and I would only pretty much see my daughter like after work or on the weekends. And there was a part of me at that time that was very much not enjoying that aspect because I feel like I wanted to spend more time with her. 
I, I wanted to be able to see some of these small moments when it comes to, you know, her opening her eyes to her, you know, saying some, some type of gibberish that comes out of her mouth. That's very, sounds very cute, but, um, but it was just, yeah, like having that originally was something that really bothered me. But then now that I'm around, like I've been able to see some of those small moments. Like now she rolls over. Now she's very expressive. I think that's the one aspect of parenting that's the most unique is you don't really, sometimes it just hits you that you're seeing a human develop in front of your eyes and it's very trippy. I, I've always been what I like to classify and you guys can relate to as as the funkel, right? The fun uncle that... <laughs> has you know my sibling has kids and i only see them on the weekends or after or when they're when they come back from school and i you know play video games or play toys with them or you know play around with them and then i just give them back to to my sister and she deals with all the other stuff now i have the responsibility of the other stuff which which again is also rewarding but it i would definitely say having the extra time has been a blessing man that's dope that's amazing yeah it's crazy all right, so we're gonna we're gonna take it back. We're gonna <laughs> flip generations now. Talk uh, about your parents, and you know when when did your family first uh, come to Canada, and uh, wh- what was that? What was the circumstances around that? Yeah, so it's it's nuts, man. Because uh, I, I just uh, kind of understanding the the concept of your show and just hearing previous episodes and and how deep. Like I've always. You know, I, I find that in my situation, like, again, no secret being the, the child of, of immigrants, you know, it was an arranged marriage. Um, my dad grew up in a band called uh, Gunshankar. I got to go there actually in 2019, which sorry, 2017, which was so lit. Uh, my mom was from Haveli. My mom actually came a lot earlier than my dad. She came when she was in high school because at the time uh, they had moved up to B.C. and there was uh, jobs at the steel mills. And they were also uh, somewhat farmers out there as well. So um, my mom is the youngest of eight. My dad's the oldest of five. So there's an interesting dynamic there as well, mm-hmm. where um, there's one side of my family where they really look at, look at my mom as being the baby, while my dad on his side is like the elder statesman. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously they met just through some mutual connections, just like every other arranged marriage. Uh, my dad had studied to become a teacher back home. So I think for him, uh, he obviously saw more opportunity to teach in another country, just based on what he was interested in. He was someone that was very much immersed in the arts. He was actually a painter himself, which I think kind of allowed me to have an appreciation for the arts growing up. Um, so he met my wife, sorry, met, met my mom and then moved uh, over to BC, they got married. And then actually my dad, uh, was put into the family business on my mom's side when it came to some of the farming that they were doing, he just couldn't handle it. So they ended up (laughs) linking up. It was kind of funny hearing stories. They ended up linking up with my dad's cousin who was in Montreal. So they went to Montreal after a couple months and then they actually, that's where my sister was born. And then the situation in Montreal was just a language barrier because of it being a, a, a province that's full of that's just full of French. And uh, eventually my dad just decided to take my mom and, and, my, and my sister and, and go to Toronto. And I would say from 1982 to 1988, from when I was born, it was, you know, just every other immigrant grind that you'd ever hear about, you know, a lot of 
a lot of different jobs. Like my dad still recalls like his pizza route when he was at, you know, working at pizza, pizza. Um, again, I think my dad always had this goal of saving up enough, enough money to get into uh, teacher's college here. He actually ended up getting uh, admission to a teacher's college, I believe at York university. And he just couldn't afford it. It was just one of those things where at the time money just wasn't on their side. So working these odd jobs was just something that kind of came by to him. Um, my dad ended up getting a job at an old department store. I want to say it's Wolkles or it's something else. I'm trying to think what it was, but he ended up getting headhunted to go into insurance because my dad had very good people skills. My mom at the time worked at a textiles factory, so she was doing her thing over there. Um, I would say when my dad got the opportunity to go into insurance, that's when I think our life sort of changed. And that actually happened the year that I was born. So my dad's been now in insurance for, for over 30 years. Uh, my mom is now uh, a personal service worker uh, at an old folks home in, in, in Brampton. But yeah, just a classic story of just having a lot of aspirations growing up, you know, having these big dreams. But then mm -hmm. once you hit the reality and you come over to a country, it's a lot harder than you think. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like there were a lot of years of just grinding and trying new things doesn't work out jump up to the next thing try a different city like sounds like there was a lot of just like trial and error to make something work a lot and the one thing i'll say too is uh you know thankfully you know with the situation that my my family was in with my mom being the youngest of eight and having a strong base in vancouver and we still sorry in bc and we still do like i still have a ton of family out there and then my dad almost being that elder statesman of his family my dad on his side was pretty much leading the way for my chacha and my pua and anyone else that was coming over here for a new life. So they were looking at him as sort of clearing the path for them to figure out, okay, well, is there an opportunity in Canada? Should we do this? Should we do that? And I think that was always in the back of my dad's mind is like, okay, I need to lay my roots somewhere just so I can set my family up. Cause at the time my dad got married, my chacha was only like six years old. Mm. So, you know, he pretty much came over here when he was like in, I would say, just about high school. So he pretty much got a lot of his education here through just getting sponsored. But um, but yeah, it was it was a grind, man. Like there's still times because I, I, I grew I was born in North York because that's where my parents lived. And there are times where I'll just be in the car with my dad and we'll drive in that area and he'll just he'll get a little emotional, man, because he was he was out there grinding like he still remembers working those late shifts at Pizza Pizza back in the day and and just, you know, <laughs> interacting with various folks. And even now, even getting into insurance, like insurance back in the day for him was door to door sales, like he had to go door to door. And all these all these areas that we all hang out in, like Parkdale or like what Liberty Village used to be. Like my dad will still drive on the gardener and just talk about how those were like the roughest neighborhoods in Toronto that, you know, he would literally be the people like people would call the cops on him because they just wouldn't know who he was. Right. And it was it's crazy. It's crazy to hear that because, you know, I think now we're we're definitely in more fortunate times because of gentrification, <laughs> depending how you look at it. But it's uh, it's nuts, man. It's nuts hearing that. Like all of our parents went through that grind, but us as young children never felt it. Never like, you know, anymore. yeah, we, we felt the absence of our parents not being there, but that this, just imagine the stress that they might have been going through, at least in my family. Like I never, yeah, it might have happened behind closed doors, but it never happened in front of me kind of exactly. thing. Right. And yeah. as we grow older, we kind of realize what 
society is like and what it takes to really provide for your family out here. And then that's when you kind of get the appreciation and you realize how much shit they went through that you can't even imagine going through yourself, right? Exactly, man. And what's what's actually crazy too is my mom and my my mom was 19 when she got married. My dad was 20. Like I think I'm I'm 32 now. Like I think about when I was 19, 20. There's no way like I'd be ready to get married. There's no way that at 21, I, like I felt like I wasn't ready at 31 to have my daughter. <laughs> like <laughs> 21. Like there's just times where I'll, now that when when you become a parent, it all. It, 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 I think it comes, you really get an appreciation for your parents, I think, when you get married. But when you become a parent, that's when that appreciation is through the roof. And it's just, it's so much, man, because I think about how, for me, between the ages of 20 and 30 is when I really grew up. But for our parents, that's that process just had to speed up. Like, they had no choice. Like, they just had to figure it out. They just had to put themselves out there. They just had to go all in. And I just hope for the best, right? So yeah, yeah. It's, when, it's crazy. That's a great point you bring up. Like I was talking to my boa not too long ago, um, just getting some some information for different projects I'm working on. And she was talking about my dad. My dad, similar to, to your dad, he was the oldest of five. And he was the one that everybody kind of looked to as yeah. to be the breadwinner, age 21. Like that's when he first left home to work. And what my boa said about him was like, you know, he was forced to grow up quickly. And I think that that kind of uh, is similar to to what your father had to experience as well. Yeah, it was almost this this duty, man. And again, it, I, like I always find the dynamic to be fascinating because my mom is the youngest. She's even till this day she gets babied, like on that side. Like all my mussies are like completely, all my all my mama like mamas like they completely baby her. They'll always look after her. But my dad right now that he is the oldest, like he is becoming, I guess, what his dad was. And that is the sort of the wisdom and the guidance of the family. Someone that, you know, you almost need to go to for before you make a big life decision. So seeing that dynamic is the most fascinating. But yeah, to your point, like you do have to grow up fast and sort of assume that role. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, my dad always has this thing that he likes to remind me. He's like, by by your age, I had three kids, <laughs> and and paid for three of my siblings' weddings back home. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I have a lot to uh, a lot to catch up to. Seriously, man, I know that's rough. That's funny. But um, um, how was how was like your household? Like, you have you have obviously have a a younger brother and a, and an yeah. older sister, and like. What kind of things did you guys get up uh, get into? You know what, man? I, I feel like my my upbringing was was good, man. I'll say I'll say straight up, like I think to your point, magic about like the the grind happening but not being seen. Like that was the case. Like I don't think I was ever privy to some of the challenges my parents had because I think they were just really good to kind of keep it within themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say, you know, I ended up moving to Brampton uh, when I was six years old. And it was like this huge migration of South. Like, I, I, I moved in 94 to Brampton when that huge migration of new immigrants happened to the city of Brampton because they had affordable housing. And I would say for the most part, man, the upbringing was good. Was good. I always, and I don't know if this had to do with the fact that my grandparents lived in India and I never, like, saw them as much. Um I think I really assimilated to Canadian culture a lot easy, easily versus just other people that grew up in, a, in an immigrant household. And I think a lot of that just had to do with the fact that 
my my dad himself was someone that really enjoyed experiences like he really liked going to concerts he really liked being out at social events he just you know he was a very personable guy that it was kind of instilled in us to do the exact same thing and um yeah man i like my sisters so me and my siblings were all six years apart um so that's an interesting dynamic because then you have me in the middle i definitely have the middle child syndrome in regards to the stuff i can get away with or the stuff that i get in shit for versus what my sister and my and my brother get in shit for and then there's this interesting sort of motherly dynamic between my sister and my and my brother that exists because there's like a 12 year difference between them but yeah, the upbringing was gold, good, man. I was, you know, a child of the 90s, right? Like, I watched TV, play video games, big wrestling fan. Um, you know, very much uh, enjoyed just what my culture had to offer, but really loved being sort of the product of pop culture at the same time. And and um, I think very early, like, having an older sister who was someone who was very artsy and, and, and who really immersed herself into, you know, alternative music and, and just, you know, what, what, big movies were all about allowed me to build my knowledge of that at an early age and have an appreciation for a lot of that stuff. So yeah, man, the upbringing was good. Being an older brother has its interesting dyna- uh, challenges as well. Like, you know, um, my, my, my brother himself, he's someone who is quite the opposite of me. Like he's a bit more quiet, a bit more timid, but you know, I think over the last few years, he's really done a great job in finding himself. So yeah, the, 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 the dynamic is interesting, especially being a middle child, man. Like there's not, there's not much that you can get away with, but then there's certain things that you can definitely put your stamp on. The middle child is always loved the most. So. <laughs> always, man. Yeah, that's true, too. It is. It is. I, I got away with too much growing up. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, so you, you are um, a very educated person. Like, you got your MBA. Oh, God, um, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a- along those lines, like, how did you make the decision to pursue that or what what were some of the i guess you know important experiences that you went through that made you want to pursue that line of education to get into business and get into marketing you know what if you want the short answer man um and to be completely honest i think a lot of that was just instilled my parents being that my dad studied education in punjab like he always wanted us to have higher education my sister has her phd in uh in farm economics um and you know i i think there was always that competition aspect where okay if she got her phd i have to do something that's at least close to that um but education was a big thing in our house like my dad took took it very seriously my mom also took it seriously and it was just one of those things where my dad always told me he's like hey do whatever you want but just have that education to fall back on and and just you know do what you can to do it and and there was that bit of there was that bit of I don't want, I don't know if the word is spite, but there was that mentality. Okay. I'm, I'm doing this to make my friends, ha- like, like make, make my parents happy. And, and then from there we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, when I did my MBA in 2011, it was really at the time I just finished business school. Um, you know, I, I, I went to McMaster university. That's where I met Dusty and, and, and Scott, uh, uh Kojo and, and that's how we became friends. And again, I graduated in 2010, the height of the recession. And, and just like every every South Asian sort of university student where when you come out of school, the expectation is that, you know, you have a job lined up and then that job will lead to a house and or a car. And then eventually you get married and have kids and live this beautiful life. 
I assumed at age 22, like that was the path I was going to go on. But man, I got hit hard with reality where I literally got no jobs. Actually, the very first job that I had, which was a sales job, I got fired like in a month because I just, again, being 22 in a workplace, like a corporate environment, I don't think anyone's set up for that. Like, I don't think anyone knows what that grind looks like when you're constantly used to that university lifestyle of staying up late, partying all night, skipping class, getting by, and then all of a sudden you're expected to be in the office, you know, by 7.30 in the morning, leave by six. Like, it's just, it's a weird transition to have in the course of six months after you graduate. And it took me a while to find myself. It was the height of the recession. Again, I I went to McMaster for my undergrad, saw that they had an MBA program that had co-op experience, um, you know, had talked to some recruiters over there, again, with my dad sort of instilling this higher education in me and decided to pursue it. Um, And yeah, it was, you know, it was a good experience for me. I, I feel like I still needed to mature a little bit when it came to my business acumen and who I was as a professional. And that MBA program really opened up a lot of doors for me. Uh, so the the co-op that you did there was that in any way related to to media like television radio? No, not at all, man. It was all marketing. Like it mm. was, uh, I did advertising, I did strategy, and I did uh, consumer packaged goods, and it was all just your regular desk job marketing strategy work that you would see like anywhere. And the media actually, I always had an interest in media, and that's because when I growing up, I. I I think I think I matured at an early age in, in the sense that everyone's like, oh, you got a voice for radio. You should do radio. And I always play that up. And actually, just to fast forward, like I've always had an interest of in doing things like that or just to take it back a little bit. I always had an interest in doing that because uh, in university, I was a club promoter. So I promoted parties back in high school. I was very involved in like extracurriculars like I was you know, always doing student council and a whole bunch of other things. Like I was always that very social guy that liked, you know, interacting with people, liked promoting stuff. So I had that marketing ability in me, but I just liked being in in the conversation. And um, I remember like, I go back to 2012, like I remember I hit, a, I hit a, a point in my life in that year where I got into my MBA program and then I was doing, I like I managed to do my first internship And I remember just being very bored, like just not loving the fact that I was going to work at nine, coming back at five, not doing anything at night and and just literally like, okay, this is, this is not cool. And I was like, all right, it's 2012. Like my goal for this year is to do something I always wanted to do, but I never had the opportunity to do it. It can be anything. And I remember going into university, I, I tried to pitch a radio show to CFMU the Mac university station. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, that radio station had like six hip hop radio shows. So the answer was a flat. No, (laughs) because they had like, they had like long tenure, like Hamilton dudes that were like in their forties doing the late night hip hop shows. And like, they were just not down to give up their slots. And me, my buddy had an idea like, yo, we want to do a hip hop show. Like just like project balance with DJ Ritz. Like we want to play all this gutter shit. And they were like, nah, you got to like intern. And we're like, nah, we can't do that. So we ended up walking out, but radio was always in the back of my mind. And it actually wasn't until, um, my brother-in-law's cousin, Jesse crown. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's on crown. Yeah. He had a radio show with DJ jump off on a station called Nutch Radio, which was like the South Asian radio station. I remember and, that. 
Yeah, it was a way for like a little bit, very ahead of its time, if you ask me, now that we're in the streaming era, like they were doing that like in 2012, 2013. And I remember like asking him, I was like, hey, like, can I meet your station manager? Like, I would love to be a radio host. Like, what do I have to do? And he's like, sure. And I remember I met the station manager and she kind of just like, nah, like we're good. Like we have people. And they made me do like a stupid um, audition on air. And I had no idea what I was doing. So it was horrible. And then... I just refused to give up. And I remember I just continued to like still think about ways to get involved. And I I think I just kept being persistent. Like I ended up adding her on Facebook, had her on Twitter. I just would like interact with her as much as I could. And then eventually I got so bored that I was like, you know what, let me just come up, let me use that business acumen that I have and let me come up with like a pitch, like a, an actual thing that I want to do. And at the same time, being an MBA student, the one thing they always instill in you is like network, network, network. And I was in this mode where I just wanted to network with everybody. Like, you know, I don't care what you do, like come join my LinkedIn, come do this, come do that. Like, let's like build a network. Even though like I wasn't meeting a lot of people with substance, I just was obsessed with meeting people. So I was like, hey, why don't I create a radio show where I can use that to my advantage to meet people that I really wanted to talk to. So I made a show up called The Network and I pitched it to her. And she was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then at the same time, when I gave her the pitch, I gave her my resume and she's like, oh, I see you have a business background. Would you be willing if I give you an hour time slot to do some sales for me on the side? So for like two months, I was like doing cold calling sales just so I can get one hour of airtime on Saturday for my show. And then eventually the clout like built up where she started to hear like the conversations I was having. She started to hear how comfortable I was getting on the air. She started to like the guests I was bringing on because I was bringing on some really cool people from the community that she, like I didn't have to do the sales anymore. And she was like, hey, just focus on the show. It's a good show. So I did that for about a year. But the media thing really just came out of ambition, man. It came out of ambition. It came out of just wanting to do something different and just really finding an outlet for it and being able to show what I could bring to the table. That's dope. So you're you're involved in a lot of different community events, like just hosting, um, even like uh, the the radio show that you do. It's at you know it's like a community staple. Like you're doing it at Sir Saga Radio. Yeah. Um, I guess what what is and even when you're on TV, like you're doing it for Rogers Community Television. Um, I guess what what is or what do you think is the importance of these local um, formats of media and the importance they have to the communities that around them? Dude, I think they're overly important. I ended up doing an interview with the Brampton Guardian last year about this. And I think the day that Rogers TV ended was like the saddest day of life because a lot of people, even within the media circle or even within just the arts and culture scene or even like aspiring politicians had local outlets to really build up who they were as people. And now that that was disappearing, there wasn't that ability to put a focus on things that were happening at that level. And I think it's super important, man, because, again, you think about a city like Brampton and just how exponentially we've been growing over the last few years. Um, I forgot what our population is at right now, but we are bigger than some of these cities all across Canada, right, that have major outlets like a CTV or or a City TV or a CP24. And the fact that we're overshadowed by Toronto and we're not Toronto or people assume, Hey, whatever happens in Toronto is the news everywhere else. I think is a huge disservice to what happens to this community. Uh So 
part of my appeal with local media and the reason why I decided to pursue it was because I wanted to get more civically engaged. Like I remember moving back from my MBA and feeling I had no connections to Brandon. Like I'd spent seven years in Hamilton, loved the hammer, even though it was greasy and grimy as hell. Like I just had such an affinity for it. <laughs> and I came back. Yo, Hamilton's fire, man. I came back to Brampton <laughs> being so depressed, like overly depressed, not knowing what was happening. All of my friends in Brampton that I grew up with are, you know, either working or I didn't want to talk to them anymore. Like, I just didn't know what I was doing. And um, it wasn't until um, I started to sort of talk to people at Rogers TV and they seen what I've done on the radio that they gave me the opportunity that I really went for it. And I think a lot of that really allowed me to build up my reputation in the city because I was interviewing politicians, like I was interviewing artists, I was interviewing community groups. And to me, I saw the value in just being able to inform audiences with what's happening in their backyard versus being bombarded with what we're seeing on a CP24. Like if you think about it, even till this day, a lot of the stories you see that are related to Brampton or Mississauga are either accidents are either, you know, some dumb shit that you see like online, like on a Bramley Road or Six Buzz that's like degrading the city of Brampton or degrading Mississauga, or it's something related to, you know, Russell Peters or Alessia Carr, right? Like it's mm-hmm. something more mainstream. Like you're not getting the gist of what's happening in our backyards. That's why I love that piece that Vice did on, on you guys last year, because again, like just now people are w- awakening to the wave that we've been on for like five, six years. So uh, sorry for the long-winded answer, but I think, you know, having local outlets is crucial, especially with how big our populations are getting. Was that a difficult pivot to go from radio to television? I, you know what, it was, it was. I, 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 and I, I still prefer radio and like podcasting over television because television is very, you have to, you know, it's all about presentation, right? You have to show up a certain way. A lot of your stuff is scripted. Um, you're, you're constantly timed. So again, you have to be able to fit in as much information as you can in 10 minutes versus radio, which can, which can be more of an open format. Um, and again, the one thing about, the one thing about TV is you, you, you have to constantly think about how you look in front of the camera because there could be things like, you know, when I'm doing a radio interview, sometimes I'll just like do this or I'll do this. But when you do that in front of a camera, when you're interviewing somebody, it can almost look disengaging or it can look like it can be distracting to the viewer. So there's like certain things like that that you have to keep a fine eye to. But um, yeah, it is it is a lot different. But I definitely I definitely like radio a lot better because it's way more casual, way more intimate. Um, You know, it has more of a fluid nature to it, which is one of the reasons why I think podcasting has become so popular is it just it's so raw and uncut. Um, TV, yeah, I say the biggest challenge is that constant pressure around presentation. How was the, how was like your, cause obviously you went from radio to like even hosting gigs to yeah. hosting gigs with quite a lot of people in the crowd for these community events and such that you do all over the GTA and such. Um, how, how was that transition from literally being in a room and, and talking to however many viewers you had, but you don't necessarily need to look them in the eye. Yeah. So, uh, even on TV, they're not necessarily there, but it's, it's a different aspect of they can visually see you to now, okay, being out there and being on stage in a sense, kind of like an artist is like, what was that transition like for you? 
Oh, it's it's nuts. It's it's like it was it was a bit it was a bit challenging at first because, and again, I've always been comfortable presenting just based on my background being a business student. Like presentations is just what you do, but you do them like yeah. in a boardroom. So I kind of took that same energy. But to your point, it's it's crazy. Like emceeing, you know, gigs at Young and Dundas Square, all the way to emceeing, you know, galas that have, you know, big time mayors and politicians in the room it's it's a different beast man it's a different beast for sure and and um i think a lot of it just has to go with um having that mindset of of not overly thinking about it where it's obsessive to have it using that little bit of nervousness that you have to your advantage to really convey what you're trying to convey um mm-hmm. you know i I've, I've had i've been in situations where i've emceed big galas and they have big time money makers in the audience and they just keep talking over me and I've had to tell them to shut up. Right. Like it's, it's nuts to be able to command a room like that. But once they listen, it kind of gets to your head a little bit and you're like, okay, well I, I kind of got them in the palm of my hand. I think I can now, you know, really own the room. But again, it's, it's a challenge because to your point, when you're in front, when you're on radio and you just have the microphone in front of you or you're on TV and you just have that camera in front of you, in front of you it's very easy to just not overthink about it too much. But then when you're in front of an audience, that's when like really you feel the energy. So um, I think a lot of it just has to do with using those nerves to your advantage and being able to, to you know, accept them versus trying to go against them. Uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, things that you learned at school and, you know, networking and, and things like that. That's a, I think that's a big thing that a lot of people struggle with, regardless of what field you're in. Um, I know that's something that I uh, is a big challenge for me is just like how to effectively network and how to you know sell yourself to somebody that you're trying to collaborate with or work with uh what would you say are some of the most important keys when it comes to networking i think the first one is just being genuine man i think there's so many times i feel like my my ship barometer has gone up quite a bit (laughs) in regards to meeting people and knowing right away what their deal is and again it may sound bad because you're you know obviously you should give everybody a chance but sometimes they're just someone that rubs you the wrong way right from the right from the jump and you just you just know right you know like this person has a, an agenda and i think i think the more genuine you come across the better um i think a lot of the relationships i've been able to make in media or in business or even just do doing you know new theory radio um really is is around because i've shown respect but i've also shown just genuine interest in what these people do and especially when you're in a situation and we've all been in it before where you meet someone and you realize hey if this meeting goes well there's some really cool opportunities that could come out of it i think still keeping that genuine curiosity and that approach within that will, will allow you to reap the benefit of that interaction versus just flat out, you know, approaching somebody that you know that can get you your next big gig and just being honest with them. I think there will come a time when you build that relationship that you can do that. But I would say the biggest challenge I've seen is just people being genuine and people like, and again, I think having your elevator pitch down is the most important, like being able to summarize what you do in like a sentence or two is going to really allow people to engage with you a lot quicker versus giving them the entire life story. Like I tell people all the time, like, Hey, my name is Nav. I'm a radio host for Saga 960, but I'm also a brand marketer and you know, whatever, whatever. I'll add a little pizzazz at the end, but the, the more 
the more clean and concrete you are with who you are as a person and what your definition is or well, what your brand is, if you want to use that term, I think the better you'll come across. But I think being genuine is the most important. Like I've seen situations online, or even especially with social media, man, you meet someone on social media and, and they're quick to hit you up in the DM after or they're quick to message you on Twitter or Facebook or wherever and then just start to you know ask you for stuff and I think I think there 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 is a time and place for that but I think you need to ease into it. Yeah. My my thing like you mentioned the like the bullshit barometer. Um my thing <laughs> is like if someone <laughs> if someone sends me a DM and I'm like semi interested I'll be like okay send me an email and like we'll, we'll yeah. talk more in depth, right? And I find like 90% of the time they don't follow up. Yeah, and follow yeah. up is key, man. Like I, and that's the thing. Like um whenever if you meet someone that you genuinely feel it's worth building a relationship with them, you got to follow up like right away. Like I tell, I tell students all the time that you have like a small window to follow up before someone truly forgets about you. Mm-hmm. And you think about these big time events that, you know, we've all gone to where someone who has a certain, who's at a certain level is probably interacting with like hundreds of people in one day. And they probably have made, some time to interact with you for like five or 10 minutes. It, you know, the interaction goes well, you know, they're probably like, all right, you know, here's my contact, hit me up. If you, if you wait a week to respond back to that person, chances are the person's probably neither, either not going to respond or they're probably going to be like, well, why'd this person wait a week? I always tell people that you got to, re- you got to reach out to them within a 24 hour window because people are easily forgettable, man. People are easily forgettable. And whether that's done through social, I'm glad that you use email as a trick. Cause I think, that's a good way to really test somebody to see how serious they are is if they're willing to sit down and write an email with why they want to connect with you mm-hmm. because it's very easy to be like, yo, come hop on my beat or, or, Hey, you know, I got, I want to talk to you about a business idea. But if you, if you don't challenge them a little bit to earn your time, everyone's just going to take advantage of you. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, that Conway verse is always good. <laughs> 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 oh goddamn! Okay, whatever, man. Okay, that's, a, that's a story for another day. <laughs> that's, where, that's when you guys have Conway on the show. You guys can talk to him about it. <laughs> uh, Who the fuck's no, that? Sure. <laughs> um, you, you have a, such like a strong relationship with like music. You know a lot of musicians. You've made a lot of friendships with musicians. Our friendship has grown through music. Uh, where where did that really come from? Like obviously you're a hip hop lover, but yeah. uh, what made you interested in even the business of music and things like that? You know what? I, I think being a much music guy, like I, I had much music on twenty four seven. So um, I was telling someone recently that for if when I was like 10. 10 to like 12 years old like if i was watching rap city or or the mix with master t and i would see a jay-z video followed by a cardinal fishel video like i would hold both artists in the same vein like you can never tell me yeah. that cardi was a canadian guy because i just didn't have that those smarts back then right if the, yeah. like i just anyone who was on much music was always larger than life to me i think i think because my sister was someone who was big into music and she was a big alternative rock head too so very early on, I remember just secretly liking bands like Radiohead and Bush and not telling my friends because then they would be like, oh, you know, you're so white or, oh, this, who listens to rock? Like There was like this really bad stigma around rock music back when we grow up. 
I think I think every Dissy was just a Tupac fan, right? So you have to like Tupac. <laughs> um, but. but yeah, I would say I've always I've always enjoyed it. I've always been a big concert goer, and um, it's funny, man. If you really want, the, <laughs> I can't believe I want to share this, but I'll share it. Uh, I think I think every every guy uh, again, and only the strong survive. But everyone has a rapper phase, and I think the real ones like yourselves <laughs> are the ones that. <laughs> That, that see the light and, and know how good you are versus the ones like me that, you know, got it right away that it wasn't good. And I think okay, when everyone's on, on, on. There's a, there's a <laughs> laying around somewhere in the tuck. There's the nav mixtape that we haven't heard. Oh, my God. Yo, I, I think when everybody, I, I, I will always remember grade nine, everybody downloaded the the sleeper, like the, the trial pack of Fruity Loops and the trial pack of Cool Edit. Right? Was it cool? <laughs> and everybody was using like their webcam mics as like a microphone. And uh, again, man, yeah, I thought I, I like would write a couple bars here and there, and and uh, you know, I actually ended up releasing an album that went nowhere. That <laughs> <laughs> I remember burning on my CD raw and uh, printing the cover from home, and then like selling it. I think I called it the truth or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was not good. Yeah, man. I was, I was on my Beanie Seagull tip. Um, but it wasn't until you know what was funny, man. I again it's it's very interesting to see just how this all morphed. So right when I knew that I wasn't good at music, um, that never stopped me from being a fan. But then when I started to take like business courses in high school and then I started to like really learn about um, you know what like i remember asking my business teacher miss mrs dawson shout out to mrs dawson i think she's fully retired now but i remember like having aspirations of being like a filmmaker or being like a director and i remember telling her in grade 10 being like you know what i want to be a director because i took i also took drama every four all for all four years of high school which else which i also think allowed me to really build up my presentation skills but i remember telling her like hey like i want to I want to pursue arts, but I think my dad and my, my or my parents want me to go more into business because it's a, more of a concrete career. What can I do? And she always told me, she's like, well, there's a business behind music. Like, there's a business behind movies. Like, what do you think an executive producer does? Like, what do you think, you know, this person does? And that really, like, opened up my eyes to the fact that, hey, there's more to music than what's on the CD. There's, like, an entire business behind it. And as a kid, you never really think about that, right? You just think about the dope album cover that Jay-Z puts out or, or you know, just the cover art of Eminem's new album. You never think about the business behind it. So that's when I really started to think about it. And then I remember when I watched Entourage, for the longest time, I wanted to be Ari Gold. Like, I thought Ari Gold was, like, my dream job. And I was always telling people that, hey, because I'm not a good artist, whether it be visual or even musical, um, I'd love to work in the business of art. And that was always the underlying goal, like going to school, like studying was always around, okay, how do I translate what I do to help artists or, or to build some type of company or do something like that? And I think that's always kind of stuck with me. But yeah, man, music, just like for all you guys, like music's just been there for me. Like it's been there for my highs, it's been there for my lows. I, I think... You know, I do commend services like Kazaa and, and Morpheus for allowing me to like really dig deep into music. I'll, I won't go, I won't disclose anymore because I know this is being recorded and I don't want to get arrested. But man, I, I I remember like it's crazy. You guys got me on a, on a bit of a soapbox a little bit, but I remember I remember like 
just like I had a phase like I think it was like grade eight, grade nine, where I think my cousin had like Nas's I Am album, which we all know wasn't that good. But <laughs> I remember hearing New York New York State of Mind Part Two, and then for some reason, like. I just was like on a download spree where I was like, okay, I need to get all of Nas's albums. Okay, I need to get all of Jay-Z's albums. I need to get all the gangster albums. Like I just kept going in and then and then I started to read like linear notes. So then I started to know who a DJ Premier was. I started to know who a Just Blaze was. And I just got so obsessive where I was like, I started making like mixed, like mixed CDs full of all these songs. And it was almost like a game trying to like find, you know, these these songs. And and again, I think that's what really allowed me to really educate myself on the on the different types of music that was out there uh was just again having the ability to pirate it (laughs) 100 percent. like you know like it's it's funny the era we grew up in right because we were we were young in the era where it literally transformed from having purchasing the cd or the vinyl or all these things to now it being able to be downloaded yeah i wasn't at the speed that it is now these kids are (laughs) these kids kids are very fortunate to have it like they had because you don't know how many viruses i got through some of those uh, trust me some of those programs i i remember i remember like i remember it was like a big accomplishment when you could download a version of a song that didn't have like dj clue over it (laughs) like it was like yo i got the cd quality version of of uh you know knock yourself out by Jadakiss. like i don't have dj uh, clue in the background but then i was thinking about it i was like man that dj clue version was heavy because dj clue was like all over it hyping you up right and mm. and again like that was that was crazy like i i would say a lot of that was just very instrumental but again i, I think for me just to go back like music just always been there um you know there's certain albums i always go back to that just remind me of where i was at a certain time or or what i was going through and and i think i've always turned to music to to kind of deal with different things in my life uh what are some ways like obviously you're a person that's great at networking and you use it to your advantage and part of well most parts of your jobs have to deal with networking now with the quarantine how have you found ways to to network now? Give oh, us some man. game. Yo, honestly, I, I don't know if I'm the right guy to speak to because I feel like I've been a hermit like everybody else. You know what? The one thing that someone told me recently, and I definitely feel this too, is because everybody's in the same boat, it's a lot easier than you think to talk to some of these people because everybody now is just sitting at home. Mm-hmm, um, sure. I ended up having and and noise. You probably know this guy. I had a Zoom chat with Arda Ocal recently. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, he was someone I connected with. Arda used to be on on the Score, and then he was on WWE for a little bit as an announcer. Now he's on ESPN. So we had a Zoom chat, which is kind of cool. And again, a good example of someone who's just free and and just like, hey, this is the time we live in. So I had a I had a Zoom chat with Arda Ocal from ESPN, and he told me straight up, he's like. Right now, because everybody is sitting at home, not doing anything, it's like people are looking for stuff to do and people are looking for human interaction. So sure. the one thing I'll say straight up is just shoot your shot. Like you never know what's going to happen. Like you never know if you find, you know, someone's email or you hit them up on social. Like I saw I saw someone yesterday um, on my Instagram. Uh he was having like a back and forth conversation with Jesse Reyes, like on a six buzz post. Mm. And, 
And again, would that happen six months ago when Jesse Reyes was touring? Probably not, but because she's sitting at home, <laughs> like yeah. she's probably killing time like all of us. So I think I think if you you know shooting your shot, but doing it in a way that's genuine, doing it in a way that doesn't seem like you're trying to take advantage of the situation, doing it in a very humble way. Shouts to humble the poet. Like I think <laughs> that would be that would be my advice. Um, I think you'll see it go a long way versus. You know, six months ago, when you reach out to someone and you assume they won't read your message, like right now, everyone's just glued to their phones. Everyone's just locked in somehow. And I think they're all looking for human interaction. For sure. Dope. And and just kind of tying a couple of loose ends together there. Um, you mentioned you're a big wrestling fan. We talk about wrestling quite a bit. You've been on TV and broadcast. Have you ever tried to get involved in any sort of like local wrestling promotion, either as like a ring announcer or a commentator? <laughs> Yeah, and he had aspirations towards that. I, I did once for Santino Morella. I uh, I was the ring announcer for one of his indie shows. Okay, dope, dope. That was cool, man. I, I uh, yeah, literally, he. I was working out at his gym, and I interviewed him at Rogers. And he turned to me. He's like, "Hey, well, my ring announcer got sick. Do you want to do it?" And at the time, I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'll do it." Being in a ring, I'm like, "Yo, I'm down." And dude, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder than we think. Like I commend Howard Howard Finkel, RIP. Oh man, yeah, RIP Howard Finkel, uh, man. Oh my god, it is to be to be an interviewer is one thing, but to be a ring announcer, like even Bruce Buffer, like I was watching UFC over the weekend. Like there's an art to it, and I just felt I felt as much as I ticked it off. There's like there's I was like I can't do this because you need to be able to enunciate and like throw your pizzazz to it and like really get into it and and all of that but yeah i got to i got to uh ring announce for him um but outside of that i have interviewed a bunch of wrestlers uh i ended up getting a media pass for SummerSlam last year which is cool um yeah. got to interview trish stratus which like you know 14 year old me was just okay <laughs> holding, holding myself back <laughs> uh i got to interview matt hardy i got to interview just a bunch of folks, man, like Buddy Murphy, um, got to interview uh, Sonia Deville, Mandy Rose. And like, again, like doing these like celebrity interviews, like at first it can be very nerve wracking. But then again, you realize, hey, everyone's just human and they like to kick it and have a good time. Trish Stratus, I think, is my favorite interview of all time. It's probably I don't even know if it's even good. Like I, I like the interview, but just someone that you grew up watching on a consistent basis and you see how humble and warm she is was left left a good impression with me but um would i do more wrestling I'd, I'd be down i'd be down to do more wrestling maybe not ring announcing but i'd be down to do some commentary we'll see or even just doing more of like the mike tenay interview style like just yeah, yeah. you know doing like an in-depth character style interview where you get to know who the wrestler is but it's tough man there's a lot of showmanship that, co- that comes with that dope i've seen this this uh discussion go around on twitter lately quite a bit but who is on your your wrestling Mount Rushmore? <laughs> oh man, that's tough, man. That's tough. I would say for me, like like of all time, or do you want like me to mix it up with like past present or what? Uh, whatever, whatever you want to do. What it could just be current guys. It could be yeah. all time. Okay, I, you got to put Brett because Brett's Brett. Like Brett's mm-hmm. the best. Because sure. um, of Canada in general. Um, actually. Brett is one guy I'd love to interview, to be honest. I'd love to – I want to meet Brett. Like, I think Brett's just the – again, he's like the Wayne Gretzky of, of wrestling, right? Like, yeah. he's just the guy. I'd love to, I'd love to meet him. 
I'd say I'd say Brett. I'd say Taker. I'd say Shawn Michaels for sure. And then ooh, who would I say after that? Brett Taker, Shawn. I'd probably go Austin. But if I wanted to go like more recent, someone that I truly love now, man, I think is just killing it even now is Chris Jericho. I, think uh, Chris, just, I was just thinking that too. Like, yeah. like if you asked me five, six years ago, I probably wouldn't say Jericho, but dude is just dude just keeps reinventing himself and he's just so good at what he does and he's like nearing 50 and i don't think he's gonna slow down anytime soon mm-hmm. and he can pivot to commentary as we've seen recently yeah man yeah so and good. he's his podcast he's a great interviewer he's a rock yeah, star too like, yeah his podcast is fire like i still listen to it consistently even the episodes where he doesn't even talk about wrestling like he's just very knowledgeable about a lot and um I just think like he needs to, I think Jericho now more than ever needs to get his flowers while he's here, man. Cause he is just, he's just awesome. How about you guys? Oh, Mount man. Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got some overlap with yours. So Bret Hart, definitely. Uh, Chris Jericho, Randy Savage. Oh, and then, so the, yeah, the fourth <laughs> one's always the hardest one. Cause I could say like, Probably Sean, maybe Taker, maybe Austin, maybe Kurt Angle. Yeah. There's a, there's a number of ones that could go into that fourth spot. Magic, what about you, Hardy Boys? Shit, man. <laughs> nah, fuck the Hardy Boys, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, it's it's the same shit, man. It, it has to be Brett. Has to, like, Austin's one of my personal favorites. Oh, always. Austin, yeah. like, just yeah. the way he made me feel as a kid. Like, even, even like, you know, it's... It, it's it's corny to say the rock, but it, it like, honestly, like, you know, like the nation of domination, yo, like, yo, I watched yo. since then, you know, and it was, that shit made you fucking feel crazy, you know, like he, he wasn't an Indian or Indian or anything, but I used to claim him just because his skin was a little bit like mine, like, <laughs> I, I had know? like, seriously, even like Stokel Steve Austin would just give you so much energy when you go to school. Like you you just wanted to Absolutely. give the middle finger to your teacher, right? <laughs> Literally, like, like the, the imagine the confidence that little like you know kids that had anxiety fucking like you know had after watching that shit. Like seriously. literally, like I thought, like you know we turned couches into turnbuckles, my <laughs> G. Like uh, like you know like it's crazy, man. Yeah, no, it, it's it's crazy because even like so much so my brother is six years younger than me. And my brother is the John Cena generation, unfortunately. Like, that's John Cena for him was his guy. And it's so weird to see it because, again, as much as we like to glorify the Attitude Era, and if you watch a little bit now, it's doesn't, someone someone doesn't age well. But again, no one had the intensity of The Rock, DX, or, or, or Austin. Like, the intensity level was, it was truly, as a kid, it really made you feel invincible. It's 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 a little bit of writing. It's a little bit of pro. Like you know, those oh, promos no. were just they're <laughs> touchable in the Attitude Era, and even before the Attitude Era, it was just like, Every oh moment. man, like and like it's you're right. When you do look back at some of it, it, it is cringeworthy. <laughs> but it's like that to the younger me, you couldn't tell me nothing. Oh, same here. Same here, man. Uh, uh, this has been fun though. Uh, anything else we we've missed out on? Yeah, I think last last question know, before man. this is like the deepest I got. <laughs> <laughs> last question before we wrap up. Um, earlier this year, earlier in 2020, 
uh, you did a special edition of New Theory Radio, which was focused around mental health. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to to get your thoughts around, you know, why you felt it was important to to have an event like that focused around mental health and mm-hmm. why you wanted to to showcase that discussion. You know why it's uh, again, um, I, I feel like I've never been. And again, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but I've never been fully open about my mental health journey. And, and again, it has been something that admittedly um, over the last little bit, I've always kind of wondered, I'm like, hey, I got this platform that I use every single week and and I talk some shit or, you know, we crack jokes or I try to interview people. But like, is there a way that I can try to bring in more of a personal experience to it? And um you know, it, it, it was, it's been a fascinating, I would say a couple of years for me because, um, you know, I, uh, I first struggled with mental health when I was in university. Um, and then that's when I started to see someone about it. Then I, you know, didn't see anybody. And then I would say in and around 2018, when I turned 30, it was like a very, uh, tumultuous year for me. Cause I turned 30, I ended up getting laid off from my job. It was actually what's what's bad about that. I, I don't like talking about it, but it was the same day that the van attack happened. So mm. um, now when that van attack anniversary hits, I'll always remember that I literally came home from getting laid off and then seeing the van attack on TV and just mentally just wanting to like not do anything. Like I remember just closing my door and like just just that's it, like turning off everything. So um, just to kind of answer your question, you know, part of the importance was to really show more of a vulnerable side as to who I am and, and be more accepting. Cause I've noticed as I was having more and more conversations with people that there was just a lot of commonalities. And I found myself being more open about my struggles with, with people. And you and I have talked about it a couple of times too. And, and I just felt that, it, you know, if I have a platform, why not use it for something that's super topical and important that can potentially help people versus continually trying to, come up with new things to talk about that may not be relevant. And, um, you know, this year, especially, it was something that I always wanted to do. The fact that we were doing it in January and when it's like, you know, mental health month, pretty much with everything that goes on, uh, I figured, you know, why not put together a show where we, you know, almost use it as a pseudo support group to really talk about what we've been dealing with. And dude, the feedback was was awesome. And it's something I definitely want to continue. So, I, you know, I thank you for, for being on. And I think Magic, you and your wife for coming out uh, really meant a lot. And again, it's just about dealing with that stigma and being just self-aware. And, and what was actually crazy about that is I shared a lot about what I've been going through. And my dad actually listens to my show every week and he heard it and he didn't know any of that stuff. Oh, wow. So talking to my dad about it after was was interesting. And, and it wasn't like... I think if this was like a couple of years ago, I think my dad or my mom would be like a little on the edgy side in regards to some how I opened up and how that might be perceived. But because, you know, time has definitely passed and we've become what I hope more accepting about what's been going on, they definitely were more supportive. Like my brother didn't know a lot. My brother had no idea that I was seeing anybody that I still am seeing someone uh, on a regular basis. And it was also fascinating to see after that show, the amount of people that reached out to me asking about how I was able to go about what I'm dealing with and and how I was able to tap into resources. So it really meant a lot to be able to show some vulnerability. I think it's very important. I think both you guys do a fantastic job of doing that with your music. I think I was inspired with sort of wanting to do the same thing and wanting to um, find a way to be more open about my own personal experience. And um, man, it was it was good. I really enjoyed it. 
I thought we had some great perspectives on the panel. Um, I'm already thinking about next year, how we can uh, do it again in a way that's, uh, you know, maybe incorporate, incorporates maybe some live performances and just keeps the conversation going. I love the fact that I did it in Rexdale too, because it just felt like such a, it felt like the, you know, it felt like it was, it's in a, it's a very, you know, it's one of the core areas where a lot of our people had moved when it came to Canada. Right, and right. Those are the areas that are now being looked upon as, as probably some of the populations that are dealing with this the most. So being able to do it in that area was, was very cool too. Um, but yeah, it was really about showing vulnerability and that was a goal of mine. I think, I think being a father, you get more in tune with your emotions <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's just need in you to, to want to just, you know, talk to people about it versus keeping it. In. Yeah. And, and that's dope too, that you kind of connect it to your daughter as well. Like, you know, creating a different model or a different environment where these conversations can be more commonplace for your daughter growing up. So that like, you know, that, that connection that you two have is different than the connection that you and your father had, where it's kind of like, it's not comfortable to talk about it. And like, yeah. you want to make it more comfortable and more commonplace for, for your daughter coming up to talk about it. There, there was a moment, man, like last year when I was seeing my, my therapist quite regularly and when Anu was just going through a pregnancy and the part of me was just like, man, like, like I, like sometimes when you think about, you know, your seed coming into this world, you're like, man, I just hope that she doesn't go through or he or she, I don't know what I was having at the time or he or she doesn't go through what I'm going through. But then you just realize, you know, you can't control that. And the only way you can really help with that is if you are open right from the get go and. And my, my brother-in-law actually came to that show too. And I remember my sister calling me after being like how my brother-in-law was talking to his daughter about it. Like my daughter, like my niece is like seven. So he was just telling her, he's like, oh, you know, if you need to talk to anybody, I'm here. Like, be honest with me. Like, if you're feeling sad, I'm here. And I think she kind of looked at him kind of weird. Like, what are you talking about? But <laughs> again, to, to me, it was, it was just a prime example of just a generation that we're in right now. And the fact that there is that openness that we have and, and yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. I think I want to, I think a part of me, especially with the future of New Theory Radio and just some of the, the thing that, some of the things that are going to be rolling out over the next couple of months that I've been working on, you know, we are sort of now thinking about maybe repivoting the show to be focused more on arts and culture and, and all that. Um, I want to do more of that, more of these sort of stigma conversations um, and be able to create an environment where we can be open and support each other versus being closed off and assuming that the conversations only happen in front of the studio. That's yeah, dope. that night was uh, that night was actually really dope. Just being in the crowd and just listening to all these stories of you know people from you know all different ethnicities and and all all sorts of problems that they've gone through yeah. you know physically, mentally, and within their lives and stuff like that. And it's you know the power is I was like you know I wasn't a part of the conversation. I'm just listening, right? But I'm listening and taking all that information. And then now when, when me and my wife went home, we had that mental health conversation. Yeah, You know, yeah. we talked yeah. about the things that were being talked about that day and the things you can relate to and you can personally feel or that things that you've seen in family members and such like that. And I feel like that's the power within it, right? Not, not yeah. everybody has to divulge what they're going through right there, but it opens it up into your mind that it's okay to have these conversations in, with, in whatever in whatever atmosphere that you feel comfortable doing that in, right? So, yeah. Uh, touche to you guys for opening up about your own lives that night. And uh, definitely it is a very important space for uh, for people who may not know uh, how to talk about these things. 
Yeah. And that's, that was the goal, man. And I'm glad that, you know, thanks for sharing that because ultimately it was around creating that safe space and being able to be honest. And I, I remember telling the panelists before, I'm like, Hey, you don't have to share anything. Or if I ask a question, that's a bit too personal. Like you can pass on it. Um, I think it's funny because I had, uh, there was one woman on the panel, Lindsay Weissen, uh, who is like, uh, she's on city, city line and she, and she's like a, an ergonomical, uh, consultant and, really actually the show um like the i initially started thinking about this when i emceed an event with her and when, when i met her she was very open about her struggles with me like it was it was to the point where at first i was like wow like she's very open about what how, what she's going through but then i realized that she needed to be open with it to cope with it and then i started to think okay well you know these conversations are happening there's clearly people that like to share what they're going through what's the environment that we can use to foster that, to, to allow people to, 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 to do that. So um, yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's something we're going to continue for sure. And, and again, if we can continue this conversation, why not? There's a lot of groups right now, like Soch is doing a fantastic job at that. Um, I know Branding Horizons has done a lot around mental health as well. So I'm glad that we're all kind of stepping up and, and doing our best to really have these conversations, especially being the, ch the children of immigrants, because I think we're all convinced, you know, we all probably have seen mental health in our immediate families, but no one knew how to address it. Right. So I'm glad that we're, we're addressing it. That's dope. Yeah, man. Looking forward to just, uh, well, just looking forward when things can open up so we can actually like kick <laughs> it again. All, but man? yeah, <laughs> but, but more specifically, looking forward to you know how you continue to use New Theory Radio as a platform to push a lot of important conversations forward. Yeah, and that's that's the goal, man. That's the goal. It's you know, there's there's already experts in the field that talk about a lot, but if we can create something that's a bit more communal, that's a bit more organic. Um, that was always a prime goal of the show anyways, is to, you know, theorize on everything that's going on and, and provide some perspectives. They don't have to be right or wrong, but just letting those opinions be heard or those thoughts be heard is, is the platform that we strive to focus on. So as we like to do at the end of every show, uh, we like to have everybody that's part of uh, today's episode to go around and just name something that they're grateful for. It could be a person, it could be an object, uh, whether or not you know this person personally or not, just any energy that you want to honor. So is it going to start with me or? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start it off because I'm ready today for once. For once, I'm ready. Um, I'm grateful for Long and McQuaid. You know? I'm not going to lie. Running around, running around grabbing studio equipment. They're still open for, for you know, like uh, picking it up outside and stuff like that. But I've been on the phone just dealing with people and they've been running around trying to figure it out and explaining all the little audio things that I may not know or had to ever deal with in my life. But uh, I'm really thankful and that there are things like this for people who may not be able to afford a grand luxury studio and things like this. So just I'm thankful for it. And I want the kids to know that, yo, it's very easy to go pick up an interface, go pick up a microphone and just record in your house. Make shit happen whatever way you got to do it. Don't let the quarantine stop you. And just, yo, if there's an itch to do something, there's ways to do it. Just Google it and get it done. That's what yo, I'm thinking. Mama Queen needs to yeah. write the check, man. To <laughs> <laughs> yo, next rental better be free. <laughs> yo, honestly. <laughs> Uh, what I'm, well, what I'm grateful for, you know, obviously I'm grateful for family. Um, but at this moment, man, uh, somewhere on the same wave as long McQuaid, I'm just grateful for technology, man. I think, I think the one thing I'll say about this quarantine that's really taught me is 
it's again it's taught me how reliant we are on technology but it's also taught me on how far technology has actually gone and what we can actually do with it um again uh when the quarantine hit i was so used to recording my radio show at the studio at sir Sager and and just doing that on a weekly basis but as soon as they shut down the studio for safety reasons i had to pivot and i actually downloaded skype for the first time i never used skype before ever <laughs> ever I, it's so weird and i actually was like okay i should start using skype for the shows and and it, it's amazing it's amazing to see even in my, in my day job how much work can actually be accomplished just being on your own and and sure i, I miss the social aspect of it but i think technology right now is definitely what's keeping a lot of us you know with our passions and you know the magic the fact that you have a studio a home studio that's technology based uh, the fact that we're using microphones that like have really good quality to them like i think without technology the situation would be very difficult so i'm just thankful for technology yeah I'm trying to secure that skype sponsorship for new yeah, radio Skype, all around me <laughs> skype, i'm ready do you know what to do Microsoft. It, 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 there's like a brown guy that's uh, president of Microsoft, right? Yeah. Tell Baji to hook it up. <laughs> Yo, he's sitting at home right now, guys. What are we doing? <laughs> With his textbook, just waiting. <laughs> Yo, someone's mom's got to know his mom. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. Um, I'm just today. I'm just feeling grateful for a very just simple things like the fact that the weather is getting better. Yeah. Uh, days are getting longer. The sun's out more. And just like earlier today, I was just like, I was literally just sitting in my bed and there's like a lot of sunlight coming in through the window and just like, just sitting in the sunlight. And just like such a simple thing that we kind of take for granted a lot. Um, but I just kind of just had a moment, just like was quiet, just felt the sunlight and just enjoyed the, I guess, the peace within that moment. The vitamin D, man. <laughs> you know, I had this thing the other day, man. I was like, I was literally in the backyard and I was just like, I'm like, I gotta get, I gotta start watering the lawn and shit. Like my, my parents are still trapped in, in, in Norway, right? Oh no, so, okay. So literally, so I've been like taking care of the house and stuff like that. But like the other day I was just like outside, I was enjoying the sunshine and I'm like, I just kept thinking of the things I'm going to put in the garden and stuff like that, like veggies I want to grow, bro. And I'm like, I'm like hard, hey, what, what, what is happening to me, bro? The quarantine got me, got me maturing really quickly, man. Becoming man. a Punjabi uncle, man. <laughs> Yo, low key. By the end of quarantine, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like uncle level nine thousand. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming for those bell peppers that you're gonna grow in the garden, bro. Yeah, yo, come, bro. There's gonna be mint. Oh, dog. I'm 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 a wild out. Yeah. But yo, honestly, the sunlight sunlight feels really nice, man. I even going for that walk, and I remember like was it two weeks ago when we had that beautiful like Wednesday or Thursday, and um, there's a lake beside my house, and just having having that experience, man, made 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 that moment feel as normal as it could be. So, shout out to the sun. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to walking. Definitely underrated, yo. Walking's coming back 2020. Walking's the new wave, bro. <laughs> biking, yo. Like, I'm, yo, noise. Next time we link up, I might just bike. Uh, like, yo, I'm not, no more cars. What about the skateboard, man? You got to redo the rat race video. Yo, bro. <laughs> that be, this video, bro. man. When that came out, I was like, holy shit, that's dope. Bro, it's so funny because all those videos that kind of blew during that era came out of zero concept. 
and they ended up having crazy views. And then the ones we tried to create crazy concepts for never like went viral like that. So. Always happens. There's times where I'm putting together a show for New Theory, and I'm thinking, okay, this is the one that's gonna like really get like a lot of hits and all that. And then it'll do okay. And then I'll there'll be a show that I don't even think about. I'll just quickly call someone. Hey, I need you to come on the show. And that one just gets shared, and people just listen to it. It's hard to pinpoint, man. It's hard. Yeah, yeah it's a rough one. Yeah. But uh, Nab, this has been a great time. You know, yeah, thanks, boys. This is awesome. We definitely got to bring you back to the new and improved Gumble Studios, whatever oh, this shit. Back cozy. Tony Montana's in the back hanging out. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no Gumbles up in here yet, but trust me, there'll, there'll be a lot by the time you come. So uh, definitely. We'll- we would love to have you back, but thank you for spending time with us. Uh, we'll let you get back to to your beautiful family now. But and, uh, uh, just just before we just before we wrap up, Nav, how can people connect with you online and connect with New Theory yeah. Radio? Yeah, man, I do this spiel every week on the show, so I got it memorized. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, it is at nnanwa at on Instagram at navnanwa. Um, if you want to connect with New Theory Radio, it's at New Theory Radio across all platforms. We just actually launched uh, our as of this recording, uh, New Theory Sounds, which is our playlist on Spotify and iTunes. We got some B Magic and some noise tracks, some moving cool tracks. We have, we added uh, your new one on there. To, uh, Good luck, Jimmy. And uh, yeah, man, we're keeping the conversation going. Check us out, Saga 960 AM, Sundays 5 to 7, Mondays 8 to 10, and then the podcast, iTunes, Spotify. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Till next time, this is another episode of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.